tonight, we're going to talk about giving God space in your life. Giving God space in your life. And we're going to talk about one miracle story in the Bible in 2 Kings chapter 4. We'll read the passage, we'll pray, and then we'll get started. Here we go. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 1 says, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband is dead and you know that your servant feared the Lord and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Lord, as we approach your word this evening, as we approach the text before us, we pray that you would speak life into it. We want to give you space in our hearts. We want to give you room here, Lord, as we gather in this house. Lord, that you give us direction. You teach us what it means to be led by your spirit, guided by your spirit, so we can see the things that you want to do through your spirit in our lives. So fill us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a certain woman who was a widow. And as a widow, she was actually married to a person who was in the family of prophets. So a person who served God. And in those days, the word of the Lord came through certain people called prophets. That, that was their job. They were to speak as the Lord gives them words. Because remember, it's not like they had Genesis through Revelation. The revelation of God is being brought forth through these certain people. And it was so strict that if you misspoke anything, you said anything and it didn't come to pass, and it wasn't of God, you were to be stoned to death. That's how strict these prophets were upheld so that they were not speaking on the behalf of God and actually be wrong. Really interesting side note. How many of us feel like, I feel like Lord is calling me to marry this person. And you're just like certain. Like really? Because back in those days, if you're wrong, you just die. So because we have a low risk factor, we're a lot more, uh, what's the word? We're a lot less careful to use God's name, thus saith the Lord. I believe God's leading me to do this, leading me to do that. I feel like God would say this to you. We should be careful, especially when you listen to pastors, preachers. I'm always hesitant when people are saying, God told me to tell you today. I'm like, I don't know. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, but I don't want to be stoned to death. And we don't do that anymore, so you don't have to worry about that. Some of you are like ready. You got stones outside and you're, you're ready to kill me. So Frankie gave me the thumbs up. He's ready. <laughs> So here was a woman who was married to a prophet. The prophet had died. And so in those days, if you went into debt, she wasn't able to provide for herself and her two kids 
what would happen? Well, it was actually according to the law, it was perfectly something that was acceptable, legal in the day, that your sons would go into slavery. They didn't have any credit back then. You couldn't just put on your credit card and like, I'll pay you back later. You just had to work as a slave. And so the debt collectors would come to your house and take away your kids. Sounds really, really mean, doesn't it? Well, this poor woman, she doesn't know what to do. What would you do in that situation? You were married to this guy who's a prophet, man of God. He passes away. You have two kids. You can't provide for them. You try your best, but it's still not enough. And then there's people coming and saying, we're taking your kids away. And they had to be with those people that they were taking the kids away. The debt collectors would keep them up until the year of Jubilee, which is every 50 years. So you might not even see your kids until they're grownups, depending on when this was. What would you do? So here's this woman, and she's desperate, not knowing. And maybe you came here today, and you're desperate. You don't even know why you're here, right? You're just kind of like, I guess I have nothing better to do on a Friday night. Or maybe you did. And you kind of turned down those plans and you came here anyway. Why did you come here? I remember um, last year, actually. Last year around this time, we were in Haiti. We made it out alive, thank God. And we were in a voodoo village. Many of you remember that went to Haiti with us. Poor Joe Reyes. He was in Haiti with us in the voodoo village and decided it would be a good idea to do a backflip. And I know we don't like necessarily believe that you know, the voodoo powers can like do anything. But I'm just saying, like he did a backflip, landed wrong, and then his foot just blew up because he broke his foot. And just like within seconds, like he didn't cry, he didn't squirm or anything. He just kind of just like, it just inflated. And he just stood there like Stone Cold Joe, just <laughs> like, Joe, do you, you think it's broken? He's like, oh, uh, I think it's broken. It's like, doesn't complain, no signs of pain or anything. It's just, it's broken. Now, I was left in a predicament. Maybe one day you'll be a youth leader and you'll understand what it's like to be me in that situation. A kid just broke his ankle. What do you do? I guess we're in the middle of nowhere in Haiti where there's not even good hospitals or anything. And we're just kind of like, uh, so I think the first thing I got to do, well, his dad's there, thank God. But even at that, we need, we need to do something with him, right? We can't just like leave him there. I talked to, oh, I probably shouldn't mention this. I'm not going to mention it. I'm going to restrain. Anyway, some people have different priorities. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> the point of the matter is, if I had tried to stay there and just fix it myself, I would have been doing a great disservice to Joe. Maybe he wouldn't have a foot anymore. The only thing I needed to do was not know how to bandage him. It wasn't how to perform surgery. You know, if it was out of joint, if I had to like snap it back. The only thing I needed to do was get the man to a hospital. And that's all he wanted to do. Can we please just take him to the hospital? And here's the first point that I think we need to know tonight. You don't need to know how to solve your problems. You just need to know the problem solver. You don't need to know how to solve your problems. Just know the problem solver. And here's the thing. A lot of us want to know the solutions before we bring it to the one that can fix them. As if, in order, to, for, in order for me to fix my life crisis, in order for me, I just need to know what I have to do. Lord, tell me what I need to do. And the, the thing is, all you need to do is bring it to the feet of Jesus, bring it to God. And that's what this woman does correctly. She didn't know all the answers. And if you think about it, like, what did she actually expect another prophet to do? To pay her debt, 
Like maybe because Elijah had the, you know, he took up the mantle from Elijah who called down fire from heaven. Maybe she's thinking like, maybe he can call down fire like those other guys and like just extinguish the debt collectors. It's like, and they just die. I don't know what she's thinking, but I know she did the right thing, which is that she went to the one who represented God. For all of us, I think it's really important to know that you can always go to Jesus with your problems. You can always go to the Lord. And many of us want to solve our own problems ourselves. And that's where we run into trouble. I tell a lot of people this all the time. If you're talking to a friend who's in a bad situation, right? If it's like something minor, it's something like, I don't want to say anything like demean this at all, but like you're going through, I don't know, you're having a tough time at school. Um, you're kind of, you haven't been reading your Bible that much. Not a minor thing per se, but like this is not dial 911, right? There's a yellow button and there's a red button. And we have to know when it's okay to press the red button. The yellow button in my mind represents like, I just need another person, another brother, another sister to sit with me and hash out some of the feelings that I have, right? But then there's a red button. The red button means I need an expert to deal with the situation. If a person breaks a foot, this is not a time for like emotional, you know, like I'm gonna sit down with Joe, we're gonna talk through it, we're gonna just like help him feel better. This is like, I need to get the man to the hospital. And it's the same thing with your spiritual life. You need to know that you have access to a red button. If it's the case that one of your friends talks to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm thinking about committing suicide tonight. This is not a time for you to be like, I can solve it. I can figure this out and I will be able to rescue this person. This is the time to push the red button. This, I need to tell someone older. I need to tell a pastor. I need to tell a counselor. We need to bring you to someone who is able to help you. It's the same thing when you're dealing with other situations in life where you just be willing when a friend is bringing a situation to you to say, you know what? I don't know if I am equipped to solve your problems, but let's bring it to someone who can help you through that process. Really, really important lesson, I think, for all of us to know. And here's the thing. Most of us are afraid to press the rest button press the red button because we're afraid of bringing too much attention to it. That's why you don't call 911. It's because, well, if I call 911, it's not an emergency. Then the ambulance comes, everyone will freak out and like he doesn't want to go to the hospital and oh my gosh. I watched um, not too long ago, there's a magician. Anyone else see this video? A magician who was performing with his wife and they're on national television. It was on um, some talent show, I forgot. America's Got Talent, that's what it is. And they were performing this flaming dart like a stunt. And as they were doing this trick, the whole thing was he's supposed to hold this funnel in his mouth and the wife was supposed to shoot this flaming dart into the target that he was holding with his mouth. Well, she missed. And the flaming dart just went into his neck. And because it was a blunted point, it didn't puncture him, but it like this flaming dart just hit him. And they kept on going with the show. And the judges were like, oh, well, let's evaluate it. And then the first judge is like, I don't, I don't know why we're doing this. Get, the, get this man to the hospital. And the guy's like, no, I'm fine. Really? I'm fine. And then Simon Cowell was just like, okay, we need to stop this. Get that man to the EMT right now. It's just like weird. The whole thing's really strange. You and I have to be willing to admit that there are some times that we are in over our heads in situations and we need to tap out and say, we need to get you to the doctor, especially for your spiritual life. Not only that though, but we need to know that we can always bring our problems directly to the Lord first and foremost. 
Instead of trying to figure out the solutions, we can always bring it to Jesus. And by doing that, we save ourselves so much trouble. That's all we're doing. As pastors, as counselors, as youth leaders, our job is to direct your eyes towards Jesus. That's it. I'm not here to solve your problems. I'm supposed to give you over to the Lord so he is able to direct you to the way of life. This is why Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 25, he says, I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. In other words, the people that are so worried about their problems, I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow. I don't know what I'm going to drink. I don't know what I'm going to wear. He says, don't worry about your body. What you'll put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? In other words, Jesus in this passage is saying, if you notice, the birds are never worried about what they're going to eat tomorrow because your Father finds ways to feed them. And if he cares about birds, he cares about you. And he's looking out for you. So don't be afraid to bring your problems to the Lord. It's like that hymn goes, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have you ever been sad and you just don't, you don't even know why? You've just been depressed, down, anxious. You can still bring it to Jesus. You don't have to have all the answers. Some days you're in a funk and you can't even explain. You can't put your finger on it. You can still bring it to Jesus, which is usually the last thing you want to do, right? You're arguing with your friends, your parents. The last thing you would want to do is in that moment, let's stop and pray. It's like, no, it's just something about it. It's just super, that would be the most awkward thing to like in the middle, like when I'm about to prove them wrong, just why don't we stop and pray? It's a spiritual battle. No, you're just wrong, right? That's what you want to say. You can always bring it over to the Lord. I hear that babies often will cry. <laughs> I hear because I don't have a baby. Babies will cry. And when they cry, you, there could be a number of things that's wrong with the baby. Maybe they're hungry. Maybe they're thirsty. Maybe they need to change their diaper. You have no idea. But the solution is always the same. Bring them to their mom. Because the dad has no idea what they're doing, right? And we can always be brought over to Jesus. Notice the second verse. It says, so Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Really, really interesting. He asked her a question. What do you want me to do? Uh, what do you have in your house? Like he doesn't give her a chance to answer. Just asks, what do you already have? Really, really interesting. And so she thinking, what do I have in the house? Well, I won't have my kids, um, furniture. I, I guess I have, if there's anything that I have, I have this small jar of oil. See, when it says jar of oil, the Hebrew word, the meaning is a flask or the small little jug. That's it, not like this giant jug of oil, really, really tiny flask, almost not worth mentioning, but she mentions it. I find it curious that she would mention this jar of oil. Like if I ask you, what do you have in your house? You're like, what are you talking about? Like I have food, I have, I guess I have clothes, I have my room, I have, I have things, right? 
I, have, I find it hard to imagine that she had absolutely nothing in her house except for this jar of oil, but she points it out. I have nothing but a jar of oil. She includes it because it's definitely something. My question is, are you discounting something in your life as something that God can't use? Are you, are you the, the type of person where if God were to approach you today and say, do you have something in your life that I could use? Like, I don't have anything. I don't have any gifts. I don't have any abilities. I don't have any talents. Let me give you more of a relevant example. I hear this all the time. I have no friends in youth group. I have no one. There's no one. And listen, the only reason I say that is not to single out any one person because I hear from so many of you all the time. Or we'll hear things like, no one cares about me. No one. And as I'm having this conversation, the thing that I'm always saying is like, I'm not your friend. I don't care about you. Because if I'm one person, then it's not no one, right? But often we discount the small oil jug of Alan Kahn. <laughs> we discount saying there's nothing really but this one thing. But how do you know that God won't multiply that someone into some people? How do you know that he's not going to use that one friend? You don't need a hundred friends. You just need one brother, one sister that's willing to live life with you. And maybe that's what you mean. That you're really praying that there's someone that you can connect with, someone that you can bear burdens with, someone that will push you in your walk. And there's nothing wrong in desiring that type of friendship, but maybe it starts with the initial conversation. Maybe it starts with you going up to somebody you don't know tonight and saying like, I would never befriend that person, but you know what? I'm gonna start off with something small and say hello. I'm gonna start off with something small and say, hi, my name is. You'll, you'll never know what kind of friendships and relationships you could have if you just started with something small. What about abilities? I hear people say, well, I would serve, but I'm not good at anything. You're not good at anything, really. There's absolutely nothing in your life that you are good at. Well, what I found is, if you even have something, whether it's a fish or five loaves, God can always do something with something. God can always multiply your something. He can feed 5,000 with your couple fish and five loaves. God can turn water into wine with your something. God can do anything with something. Here's the thing. Have you ever thought about this? If God can create something out of nothing, can he already use the something that he's given you? God created the entire universe out of absolutely nothing. So if you have even one thing, why would we discount that as something that God couldn't use? So notice that often it starts with what God has already, before we ask for anything else from God, before we look for God to give us something we don't have, ask yourself, is there something that God has given me that I can start using? Because perhaps God has given that to me so that I could multiply it. Before you start looking for other friends, popular friends, before you start looking in your schools, before you start saying like, oh man, I want to do this outreach, I need some people to go out evangelizing. Before you start thinking in terms of multiplication, start off with, who has God given me? Right now, is there one person? Is there one ability? Is there just one thing I love to do? It doesn't have to be a lot of things because there are some people that you look at and you're like, they're good at everything. And I'll never be like that person. That's okay. 
That's not your lane. Ask yourself, what has God given me? Because he will multiply even that one thing. So the second point tonight is something is not nothing. Something is not nothing. And God has given you something. So use your something. Look at verse three. It says, then he said, he being Elijah, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels. Do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons and pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So once again, I would ask you this. If you were approaching Elijah, let's say that you were this widow. I know for guys that's kind of awkward, but let's just pretend for a second. You are approaching Elijah. What would you ex be expecting him to do? Right, we talked about fire from heaven. We talked about maybe he, he has some money, but he's a wandering prophet, maybe not. I don't know, what would you expect him to do? But no matter what you expect him to do, wouldn't you imagine if you could predict what God is gonna do through Elijah, wouldn't you imagine something like Elijah prays over the situation and the heavens parted, like something. But it seems like Elijah asks her to do something and to do it with a bunch of other people. Huh, really interesting. Your third point is that God uses people in the process. God uses people in the process. Most of us might have expected Elijah to play this bigger role in what was happening, but the scriptures remind us that the emphasis is on God and not on any one particular person other than Jesus. It's never been about how great Elijah is, how great Elisha is, how great Pastor Lloyd is, how great, it's never been about one person. It's about God and his presence can use anyone. You got something because God has given it to you and he wants to use that something. Now, some of us think things like, oh man, like I know I'm not feeling well, but if only Pastor Lloyd prayed, wow. Or maybe not Pastor Lloyd, maybe it's some other pastor that you feel is like super spiritual or like today we have celebrity pastors, like if that person prayed for me or like spoke into my life, imagine he saw something in me and he looked at me and said, brother, I could see a calling on your life. Sister, I could see one day you're gonna be whatever and says something, you're like, whoa, isn't that amazing? It's probably true. One of the things that Pastor Lloyd always tries to do, like if you've ever noticed, he has pastors and elders pray up front and sometimes people would be like, well, I want Pastor Lloyd to pray for me. Well, there's a reason why he has multiple elders and pastors praying for you at the same time. If we ever anoint a person with oil because they want healing, we usually do it with multiple elders, never just one elder by himself anointing. Why? Because if it, if it actually happens that a person's healed, we don't want the person going back and be like, and when Joe Fisher prays for me, I'm always healed. There's an anointing on Joe Fisher. Right? That's our temptation is we're always looking to people as special vessels that God uses this person and only this person. Here's a really interesting side note. Many people feel like they can only receive the word of God if it's through a particular vessel. I, you know, when I listen to that teacher on, on the podcast or when I go to that church, oh man, that guy's on fire. Like I know, like re that really spoke to me. And when, you know, Alan teaches, eh, whatever. Now, some of my teachers, eh, like, I don't, I don't feel like they're really filled with the Spirit, really, if I'm honest. Like, what? It's the same God that lives inside me 
you, everyone here. And he can use any one of you. It doesn't matter about the vessel. And the thing is, it pleases God to use multiple people. There are so many people in the family of God and he wants to use each and every one of us. So the best thing we can do is ask yourselves, maybe it's not the pastor, maybe it's the listener. Maybe it's the way that I'm not taking notes. Maybe it's the way that I'm not following along in the scriptures with him as he's teaching. Maybe it's the fact that I'm not praying for him as he's preaching. Think about, is there something that I can do rather than always depending on the person looking at one vessel above another? Because sometimes God doesn't act in the way that you always expect. That's what happens in the next chapter, actually. Flip over a page to the story of Naaman. 2 Kings chapter 5. In 2 Kings chapter 5, I'll summarize the story and I'll read a couple verses. There's this guy, Naaman, who's this great commander. He's awesome, really cool. He's part of the kingdom of Syria, not exactly friends with Israel. And Naaman, although he was this great commander and, and God even allowed him to have those victories, the Bible says that he was a leper. In other words, he had this disease where he couldn't feel anything. And because of that, he would have his, you know, body parts would be rotting, like he couldn't touch things. And it was just a mess. So he was like this very su successful guy, but he had this one big problem. And maybe some of you feel like that. It's just one issue, one thing that holds you back. That was Naaman. And so because of this, there's a servant girl that's like, hey, like, listen, like back where I'm from in Israel, if uh, you just talk to this one prophet, Elijah, he would heal you in an instant. It's easy. It's like, what? So then the king of Syria is like, oh, man, we got we to gotta find out how to get this guy healed. So he's like, I'll just write a letter to the king of Israel. Writes this letter, sends it over. And she's like, um, yep, I'm sending Naaman over you, my commander, so that you can heal him of his leprosy. Thanks. King of Israel is like, what? Is this a joke? He thought he was like mocking him. He's like, we, I, I can't do that. You think I'm just going to be able to magically heal people? I can't do that. So he thinks it's like, a, you know, an, uh, a letter of war or something. Anyway, Naaman gets there, talks to Elisha, and Elisha goes up to him, and like Naaman's ready. He's like, what's it going to be? He's going to break out his magic wand. He's going to break out the flaming arrow. I don't know. And then Elisha says, um, yeah. yeah, oh, oh, you're dirty? Yeah, there's a, a river. It's called the Jordan. Uh, take a bath, and uh, you'll be fine. Yep. And Naaman's like, take a bath. Take a bath, this bit. Who does he think he is? Really? Like, I came all this way, and he tells me to take a bath. Like, if a bath could fix me, when I have taken a bath, where I, like, does he think I don't shower? I shower all the time. Of course, the Jordan River was a dirty river beyond everything else. It's just like, really? And he left offended. And then there are some people that stop and like, oh, hold on. And look at verse 11. It says, Naaman became furious and went away and said, indeed, I said to myself, he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the place and heal the leprosy. Imagine this, like, it's like, this is what I thought. Like, come over and be like, oh, Lord. And just like doing this whole, like, um, what's that song? The whole song song. I'll stand with arms high. I don't know, whatever. He's just thinking. He just starts singing and then he would be healed. But no. It says, verse 12, are not the... Abana and the Parfar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel. Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in rage. And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, wash and be clean? Whoa. 
And here's something we need to know tonight. A lot of us are waiting for God to do something great. Everyone look up here. Everyone wants to be given great instructions from the Lord when he's asking you to do something very simple. We're waiting for God to give us this giant like list of directions like you do this and this will equal that and it will be amazing. Your calling will be undeniable. People will see the anointing on your life. It'll be amazing. But God's just saying, I want you to befriend that person at youth group. I want you to call up that person you haven't talked to in long. It's like, really? That, that's what you want me to do? It's not like you want me to evangelize the 20 people today and they'd all get saved. It's not like you want me to go to New York City and stand on a podium and just start street preaching and see like a revival. It's not like you want me to go up to the like, you know, the nursing home and start like preaching healing over people and watch them dance all over the place, the elderly people. Like I've been free and just start like that'd be awesome. And I would do it. If God told me to do it, I would do that, totally. But he's told me to do something simple. And some of us have been given simple instructions and we need to be obedient in the small things before we're given charge over many things. So what was this widow told to do? She was told to borrow vessels from all your neighbors. Borrow vessels from all your neighbors. What does that mean? Well, she has one tiny little jar of oil and then she was told to go up to people in the neighborhood and ask if she could borrow vessels that she would be able to fill with this tiny little vessel. What do you need that vessel for? I, uh, the prophet told me like if I did that and I would pour this thing and then like it would, it would fill it and I would have enough oil to sell and buy my children back from slavery. Yeah, that's what I'm doing with your vessel. Uh, okay, what does this do? It does two things. Number one, it brings vulnerability. Vulnerability. Because I'm willing to bring my problem to other people, now people see that I'm not perfect. How many of us are so against letting other people know that we're suffering? Now, there's some of us that go the opposite extreme. Just everybody knows that we're not doing well. Just like you look at them like, oh, they're about to cry again, right? But there are some of us that bottle everything up, that we're so afraid of having a moment of weakness, so afraid of anyone knowing that we're suffering, that we're not doing well. And because of that, here's what you do. You prevent God from using those people in your life, and you're preventing those people from receiving the blessing of having been part of God's work. So not only do you miss out on God using them in your life, but they miss out on being able to minister to you. So it brings vulnerability when we're willing to bring our problems to other people. The other thing is it brings impartiality. Impartiality. Talking to all your neighbors means that you gotta talk to the ones that you may not get along with. A lot of us may choose to bring our problems to certain people and then there's other people we probably not feel comfortable doing that. There might be people of, with certain situations and it's just like, ah, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can trust that person. I don't know, they're kind of weird, they smell funny. And I'm not saying that you have to bring all of your problems to everybody. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying like you're going through some extreme situation and you need to tell everybody about it. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is you have to be willing to let other people share in your life. You have to be willing to go up to other people 
even people that you don't go along, uh, get along with and be, and be willing to say that God will use those people. The Holy Spirit is living in those people and God can use those people to bless me by them lending their vessel to me. So it doesn't mean you have to be best friends with everyone, but be willing to admit that God can use other people in your life. And it's true. James chapter 5, verse 13 says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing psalms. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will heal the, save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So, in James, it talks about we need to be in a community because God uses people in the process of your healing. God uses all different types of, that's why we come to church. A lot of people are like, oh, I can listen to podcasts later. I can go to church on Sunday. Great. Every church needs the small gathering and the large gathering for this reason. I may have said this before. Forgive me if you heard this a billion times. You need a large gathering. Why? Because if you only have the small gathering, you feel like, well, what can, what can we do? We're only five people. Like we have vision. We have passion. We're ready to go change the world, but we're only five people. You need a large gathering to be able to do large things. We're going to go out. We're going to pull on this outreach. We're going to reach hundreds of people because we're all putting, we're going to put in $10 each. We're going to go bless people at Rita's. We're going to go. You can do that. But if you only have the large gathering and not the small gathering, now you feel like nobody actually knows who I am. And you get lost in translation. That's why we have impact light groups that we've started up. And hopefully you've been a part of them. So that now one person feels lost and everyone feels a part of the community here so you can bear one another's burdens. You don't have an accountability, uh, accountability partner, but you can find one. You can be collectively, like you don't know any unbelievers, but your friend does and they can bring unbelievers into that group. We all need to be working together, worshiping the Lord together. Because the fact of the matter is, we, like human beings do things better when more people are together. That's why you have companies. That's why you have bands. That's why you have... Uh, jobs where people are hired. There's like more things get done. Other, you know, imagine if you're a chef and you say, I'm only going to serve the people I want to serve. I'm not going to work with anybody else. You're only going to have a limited ministry by serving food to people without having other people be able to take other responsibilities. So we need to work together because God uses people in the process. Also, side note, look at verse four, last side notes tonight, but he says, shut the door behind you and your sons. Shut the door behind you and your sons. Why does he say that? Why does he say shut the door? Here's what I think. You know, in, in the age of social media, it's really easy to always talk about all the cool things that we're doing, all the cool things that God is doing. But there are times that God does something in your life and it's just for you. Maybe you know what I'm talking about, but there, there are things that God shows me, like in my devotions, and it's not necessarily a, a thing that I'm supposed to share on a Friday night. It's a word just for me. Like I look at it, I'm looking at this verse and like, well, I don't know anyone who's going through this, but oh, maybe God's trying to tell me something. The other day, like the only reason why I'm sharing this now is because um, I'm using it as an example. But the other day I have this, I know this is not going to be that meaningful, but I'm just sharing it as an example. <laughs> it's really meaningful to me. So for the past seven months, I've had this mystery problem with my car, the Subaru. And um, 
we can't figure it out. The mechanic can't figure it out. I can't figure it out. For seven months, it drives me crazy. Like, I'd be driving and out of nowhere. It's like a rocket ship. It's just like, like hitting turbulence. And it's so annoying. And then it feels like it's dying. And then it misfires the pistons. And it's just terrible. For seven months, I cannot figure it out. And the reason why we can't figure it out is because the check engine light doesn't come on. And when the check engine light doesn't come on, you can't scan it and then put in the code and figure out what it is. And if the light doesn't come on, then it can't be any of the things that would provoke the check engine light. So I'm going crazy. Mechanic's going crazy. Can't figure it out. I drive to Philly on Monday. And I, the reason why I do it is because I just want to hear from the Lord, read some books, spend some time at a coffee shop, and then pray on the way back. And as I, I did, like I drove there fine. And that's the weird thing too, is like it doesn't do all the time. So it do it with me. I bring it to the mechanic shop. And then he'd be like, I drove, it was fine. I'm like, what? Just, just weird. So I'm driving back, and then it's like terrible, absolutely terrible. It's like, I feel like I'm not going to make it back from Philly. It's like an hour and a half away. And amongst all this, I'm like, Lord, I drove, the, I drove to Philly for this direct purpose that I would be able to pray to you. And I am so distracted, and I'm so annoyed, and I can't do that right now. So I'm like, Lord, just please, in some way, speak to me amongst the distractions. I kid you not. Like 10 seconds later, the check engine light comes on. And I'm like, oh my gosh. I'm like praising. I'm worshiping. I've never been so happy. I drive over. I don't care how much it costs. It's $200, $300. I don't care. Like, I'm so happy. I drive into the shop directly. I'm like praying the check engine light doesn't come off again. I pull into the shop and I'm just like, Marvin, look, it's on. It's on. And he's just like looking at me like I have five heads. Like, okay, cool. And then we fix it and it's awesome. But when that happened, it's like, that's a cool story. Most of you just like, you don't know what check engine light is, right? But it's like, that was so meaningful to me. That was more than anything else God could have done this year. That one little thing, the fact that the light came on, is like God was speaking to me saying, I care about you, even the littlest of problems. And that's what we're learning tonight is, you know, in the midst of what this story is about is there are all kinds of turmoils, all, all kinds of sufferings. The kingdom's broken. You have people that are on the throne that aren't exactly walking in the ways of the Lord. And during the midst of this, Elisha is taking time to minister to a widow that people feel like is insignificant, forgotten. She was important when the prophet was around, but now she's not. And God's saying, no, I think you're valuable. I think you're important. And these things that are huge to you are huge to me too. So whatever your problem is tonight that you're suffering with, it may not seem like a big deal, but God is ministering to you and he wants to do that. Okay, next point, verse five. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil and pay your debt, and you and your sons live on the rest. The last point tonight is, what you gather is what you get. What you gather is what you get. How many of us, if we had only known what God is going to do, will be gathering more vessels We'll be going to as many neighbors as possible. That's why he's saying like, hey, go to your neighbors, all your neighbors, and don't just get a few vessels. Because what you gather, what you're willing to make space for will create the space that God can fill. 
When you're saying, Lord, I'm an empty vessel and I want you to use me, I'm, I'm being diligent. I want to seize the opportunities. God is faithful to meet you in those opportunities. But are we willing to go and do the work of gathering? Last night, we were at Pastor Lloyd's house, many of the seniors, and one of the things that was brought up, there's a question about, you know, it seems like when we have, a, have an event like Bridge Fest or Vertical Identity Conference, a lot of people get really excited about evangelism for like five minutes. And right around that season, people are just like, I'm going to the malls, we're gonna go to the boardwalk, we're gonna evangelize every single person. And then like the rest of the year, it's kind of like it tapers off. Why is that? And how can we make it more of a lifestyle? It's the same thing with retreats, isn't it? Like you go on a retreat and just like God meets us every single time. Why isn't it like that when we meet on Friday nights? Why isn't it like that on Sundays? Is it because we have a different God? Is it because we go to a retreat center? What's the difference? Well, the difference is that we see a problem, but we're not gathering in anticipation of God's filling. A lot of us will see the problem throughout the year, but we're not anticipating that God could meet me today. And we're not all gathering with that same expectation. If there's one point I want you to gather tonight, and I'm going to read it because I want you to get it clearly, it's this. Our lack of faith will not necessarily keep God from working, but it can limit how much he will choose to work. Our lack of faith will not necessarily keep God from working, but it can limit how much he will choose to work. Because maybe you've noticed it too, but God will always work despite your belief. God does not need you to believe in order to do stuff. That is not what I'm saying. And there's a, a movement of churches that believe things like, oh, it's by your faith. And if you don't have faith, these things can't happen. And like, if, but if you really believe, you really hold on to something, you have the power, then like you can shape reality and you can move mountains. And, and to a degree, it might be true. But here's the thing. When Lazarus was raised from the dead, he had no faith. He was dead. He had no opportunity to say, like, I believe, Lord, you can raise me from the dead. He wasn't alive. Adam and Eve, God worked despite the fact that they had failed God and they had sinned. All throughout the Bible, you see that God still works despite the fact that man continually messes up. And that's why in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, there's a father of a child who was sick who cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. We can cry that out to the Lord. It's not like God's like, oh, but if you believe a little bit more, I can do more. That's not what he's saying. But it can limit him on how much he will choose to work. Examples of this. Peter, he's on a boat, sees Jesus walking on water, and Peter's like, hey, can I go do that too? And Jesus allows him to step out into the water. But because he was, oh ye of little faith, because he did not have enough faith, he began to sink. Why is that? Couldn't Jesus just levitate him? Yeah, he could have chosen to do that, right? But he was allowing, God allows people to participate in his work. God gives us free will to participate in what he's doing in the earth. That's what prayer is for, by the way. Just as you participate by you feeding someone, some of you went to the Dominican Republic with the junior high group just recently. By you feeding someone who's in need, you are participating in God's work. You're using your free will to say, I will be a vessel that God can use. When you pray, you're doing the same thing. 
I'm being a vessel that God can use to accomplish his work. And what we notice is in Mark chapter 6, verse 5 through 6, it says, Jesus could do no mighty work there except he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them, and he marveled because of their unbelief. Then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. Now, see, the Bible says that Jesus specifically limits his work to people that will choose not to act in faith. Why is that? Well, I would ask, what is the point of God filling jars of people that aren't going to use them? And there are people that refuse to believe. And when you refuse to believe, it doesn't matter what sign, what miracle, what thing God does. You're not going to believe whether or not he does it. And so we limit the work that God can do by our lack of faith. So if you had the opportunity to know what the future held, let's say that you actually could know the plans that God has for you. You know exactly what God is going to do with the jars that he's given you. The tiny little jar. That's something that's not a nothing. What would you do? Would you be someone who's willing to go out into the highways and byways and gather all the vessels as possible so God could fill them? Or would you be a person who's scared, scared of failure? What if God doesn't fill this vessel? What if that neighbor doesn't give it to me? Maybe a person who has the vessels that's not willing to lend it to someone because you don't think that they're worth lending it to. But the fact of the matter is God is faithful, always faithful to reward those that diligently seek him. So in conclusion tonight, I would say this. Our four points was number one, you don't need to know how to solve your problems, just know the problem solver. Number two, something is not nothing. Number three, God uses people in the process. And number four, what you gather is what you get. If I were to summarize those four points, it would be this. Go to God, use your gift, work with people, seize opportunities. Go to God, use your gift, work with people, seize opportunities. How does this apply? How does this apply to anything that we've been learning? What does this mean for us as Christians? Well, if we're really thinking about going into the school year and how can we make that thing we felt on the retreat, how can we make that thing that we felt at the Vertical Identity Conference, at Bridgefest, how can we make that a lifestyle? It requires the hard work of going out and gathering. And if you're not getting, it's because you haven't done the work of gathering. It's because you haven't prepared your heart. It's because if you're wondering why you're not getting direction, it's because you haven't done the hard work of just making a habit of, I want to receive from the Lord. I want to read the Bible every single day. I want to be at church. If you're not feeling used, it's perhaps you're not making yourself available. You haven't signed up for call to serve. You haven't said, I want to fill out a ministry app. I don't even know what I want to do in the church, but I'm just going to sign a ministry app so I can figure out something. I'm a human being. I'm flesh and blood. I have hands. I have feet. I have a brain. I can do something. And something is not nothing. And perhaps God can use that something and multiply it. Maybe he can take that ability and, and to flourish it for his kingdom. Maybe he can take that friend and make it into a family. You never know. And going into the school year, perhaps God wants to use you so that, just imagine if, if you took those vessels and you just made them into people. 
right? How many people would you evangelize to if you knew God would fill them? How many opportunities would you take in life if you knew that it would be fruitful at the each end of the day? You said, I'm going to go to Philly. I don't know what we're going to do, but I'm willing to face my fears, step out of my comfort zone. I'm willing to talk to some people. I'm willing to sit down with people, be vulnerable, willing to share my story with other people, and perhaps it could influence someone else. And of course, this is mostly not just true about our opportunities, not just true about the things that you and I face on a daily basis, the problems of situations in life, but this is also true of the Holy Spirit, which we're going to learn in a couple weeks. That if you are willing to say, Lord, would you fill me with your Holy Spirit, that he would do that. And you could see a radical transformation in your life. And if you feel like, like you're not really sure, you're not really sure if you've experienced the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? What, what does that look like? I would challenge you to sit through the teachings we're going to do because we're going to identify what it means to be used of the Holy Spirit. Because all throughout the Bible, it talks about there's something different about people that are, that are filled. Day of Pentecost, right? There are people that sat up there in an upper room and after the Holy Spirit met them and entered them, crazy stuff started to happen. It's undeniable that when the Holy Spirit touches you and touches other people through you, that things are fundamentally different. And so if we have not had that experience, perhaps we've never known what that experience is like. And that's okay. The first step is, is admitting that you have an empty vessel that needs to be filled. And then the second step is asking the Lord to fill you. I'm going to close with this passage, Luke chapter 11, verses 9 through 13. Jesus says, so I, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If a son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And not only was this woman able to get her children back, but she was able to live on the rest of the money that she received, all because she was willing to make herself available to what God was doing. Let's pray.